So, but we're going to talk about some of that. So, okay, we're going to start. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. You can ask questions anytime. Um, so remember last week and a couple of weeks before that, we were talking about the people, the, the, the house of Israel, the people that were left in Egypt when Moshe, you know, broke them out, not all went. And we know when, when they got taken to Babylon and then they came back, most didn't come back. And we know the, the, you know, the house of it, the 10 tribes, that house of Israel, when they were scattered into uh, Assyria and most never came back. I mean, that's just the way it is. Most of them aren't going to come back. And it, it boils down to them, you know, they're, they're comfortable. And we read their slaves and, you know, and that's not exactly true. They, they had a job to do and they were herders and, you know, they did all the things that the Egyptians didn't want them, didn't want to do themselves, which is just like this country, right? We all have a job or had a job and we had to do the job the way that the boss asked us to do it. And they gave us some sort of remuneration for it. And that's no different than being a slave in Egypt. So most of them didn't go back. Um, they stayed there. So there's a group of people that went, they went with Moshe and some of them were Hebrews. And some of them weren't. And it was a, it's called an Arab Rab, a mixed multitude. And you think, or it's, it's easy to think that the people who went out with Moshe went out because they believed, they had faith, right? They knew where they were going to the promised land. And yet you read through those 38 years, 40 years, and it's clear they didn't have faith. They didn't even know where they were going or why they were going. All they did was complain and, and, and uh, I've read this, you know, the, I, I read because Paul says that, that we, if we're living at the last days, the end times, should look to the Exodus generation and we should learn from them. They are our examples. And it doesn't say do what they did. It just says use them as our examples. So I spend a lot of time in uh, Shemot and, uh, you know, reading about the Exodus because it's telling you what's going to happen today. And when you read through them, one of the things, and it took me a while to figure this out, you hear all the complaints and all the murmuring and all the pissing and moaning. And, you know, I mean, just daily. You'll never read, oh, we're so excited to be free. We're so excited. We're heading to the promised land. We're going to the fulfill the promise of god you never read that well that's disturbing why did they go why didn't they just stay in egypt with the rest of them if they didn't believe any of that so uh you know the fact of the matter is in less than a year they were at the promised land remember and the 12 elders or spies if you want went in to check it out and remember the story, they came back and 10 of them said, oh, no, 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 it's a great place. It's everything uh, you who said it would be, you know, flowing milk and honey. It's awesome. You know, bananas 10 feet long and all that stuff. Uh, but we can't, we can't, we can't go in there. Two of them realized, what do you mean? We can't go in. He's already done it. He's already fought the, but we've won. That's ours. He put those giants there to build all this stuff so that when we would go in, it would all be built. We don't even have to build the place. 10 out of 12 didn't buy that. And it cost them their lives. They spent the next 38 years wandering around the desert until they all died. And it was their children, as you know, that uh, went in. And the two from the two or three million people that went out, there were only two from that generation that were allowed to go into the promised land. And those were the two, Joshua and, and Caleb, that gave the good report. They knew the Lord had already given them the land. It was there. It was what? You know, it was a sightseeing tour. It wasn't a fact-finding tour. They already knew it was their land, and they were looking at all the great stuff you had done, and you'd put these giants to build all this excellence. It was awesome. Those were the only two that made it in. So we're to look to that generation, to those people, to what they did, to what they said, to what they thought, as examples for us, both what to do and what not to do, and most of it's what not to do. So it's, it's, it's telling us, um, hopefully, things about our faith, our leaders, our understanding of the end times, all this stuff. So if you spend time in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, Shemot, looking at, I mean, from Moshe in the desert with the burning bush until Moshe dies on Pisgah, 
and even after that, when, when uh, Yahushua takes them into the promised land and they cross over the river Jordan, they're circumcised and the whole Jericho thing and all that stuff. That's the Exodus generation. And those are the things we're supposed to learn. So I look around and, and this is why it's funny. You know, I look around today at the 21st century American Christians. And I mean, Christians all over the world, but especially in America. And I just wonder how many of them have faith to leave, you know, or, or are they so comfortable where they are? Are they so comfortable using the same tablet they've used for 20 years with the same screen set up and the same colors and the same font that they're unable to go somewhere else and use a different device? You know, how many, how many have faith to do that? And you see that, um, most of these people still think that there's this Jesus cat out there who's going to move into their house and move furniture around and make things great, or he's going to, you know, vacuum them up into the clouds before anything bad happens, or, um, you know, most 21st century American Christians have this kind of low impact in times thing you know nothing bad's going to happen to me because i follow jesus and um nowhere in scripture does does it say that every single time i mean you pick a character in scripture abraham moshe yosef yakov hadassah esther um aliyahu elijah ruth noach I mean, any of these guys, you pick a guy in scripture, anybody who's done anything good or big in scripture, anything who's done the things uh, for you who are that he's supposed to do, anybody, anybody who want, who's seeking after him. And they have one thing in common. They've all had to leave their family and their life and their friends, and they've had to follow him. He doesn't come to them. They follow him. And we get this, these 21st century American Christians that don't think that, you know, oh, God is my co-pilot. Ew, I'd scrape that bumper sticker off your car. That is not your co-pilot. He's not your best buddy. He's not your maid. He's not going to come in here and clean up the house. He's God. And you need to join him. He's not coming with you. Yeah. And, and, and. Somehow, we have become this nation of lazy believers. You know, we, we, we think everything is going to be easy and fun, and uh, I'm comfortable where I am. And it's not just us. Most of the Hebrews did not leave Egypt. Most of the Hebrews did not leave Babylon. Most of the Hebrews did not leave Assyria. It's, you know, it's not just us. People tend to stay where they're comfortable and they're in Egypt and they are slaves in a sense to the Pharaoh. They're doing what the Pharaoh tells them to do. And like I say, we, you know, the, from the movie, we saw whips and chains and they're making bricks and straw and all that. And that's not entirely true because we've read how these people had access to the Pharaoh. They could go to the Pharaoh and say, you know, we're doing this, we're not doing that, we're, you know, things aren't going well, whatever. They were the, the Pharaoh's uh, uh, cattle herders and sheep herders, and they ran the farms and they toted the water and they, they did all that stuff. You know, if they didn't do that, I'm sure there would have been trouble, <laughs> but they did do that. And that was their job. And it wasn't that big a deal, but they were comfortable enough doing it so that when they were out on the road with Moshe every three days, and things didn't go exactly like they hoped they would go. They're complaining about, what did you bring us out here in the desert to kill us? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What's wrong with you? Why are we here? Never once do I read about them saying, oh, this is so awesome. We're on our way to the promised land. We're going to meet the Lord in person. They just don't, they don't say that. They don't do that. They don't have the, <clears throat> I don't know. But Paul says we're to look to those people. Not to do what they did, but were to look to them as examples. And in most cases, to not do what they did. And that, and, and, and 
only two made it out, you know, and, and when Yeshua said, uh, most of you are on the, on the broad road and a narrow path is hard to find. Nobody's thinking two out of 2 million or 3 million, but it, there aren't many. So I guess when I'm talking to American Christians, it's like, well, why do you think the rules have changed? From Abraham to the disciples, every one of them, and you know, everybody in between left their home and their family and their jobs and everything to follow after the Messiah. But all of a sudden, we don't have to. He's going to come join us, grab us by the hand and take us into the air. Maybe, but I don't see it in scripture. It's never happened before. So I would not be planning on that. Um, you know, it all boils down to the reality of me and my tablet. I'm not good with change. And you can ask my wife. I am terrible with change. I hate traveling because you've got idiots at the TSA and morons sitting next to you. And I mean, it's just more trouble than it's worth. I don't like change. I'm just fine staying here. You know, I've only lived in two places, Santa Barbara and Vail. It's like, where would I go? You know, it, I could go to Omaha or see my dad in St. George and just, you know, anyway, I don't, I don't like change. In biblical history, I mean, world history will show us the same thing. We are resistant to change. All people are resistant to change, or I guess most people anyway. Well, everybody should be, you know, we're comfortable where we are and we don't want to change. But here's the deal. Your creator has said, follow me. Well, that means change, right? You have to change. And the, the deal with uh, Yahuwah is he'll tell you something. You need to be separate. We told the Hebrews all the time, you need to be separate from the people. And what did they do? They always wanted to assimilate. So what did he do? Well, he changed the circumstances so that they would be thrown into ghettos or they would be persecuted. Whatever he had to do to make sure they were separate because they wouldn't do it. He would do it, right? Well, why would you think this is any different? He's telling us we have to change. We have to follow him. We have to leave the things that uh, we know behind. And I'm not talking about you need to move out of your house or apartment right now. I'm, I'm talking about mentally and spiritually. We need to change and to follow him. And he may say, you know, and at some point we will have to actually move out of our homes and apartments, but that'll be a totally different deal. Um, but stuff's got to change. And if you're unwilling to do that, there could be trouble. Um, now, are you saying in the, in the now that it's going to avoid change? Well, but, change is constant yeah. because you weren't a believer and then you were. And that meant change. It might have meant family members didn't dig you or whatever. And then after you were Christian, you suddenly started reading the Bible and realized you have to change. You can't be a Baptist anymore or, or Calvary Chapelite or whatever, because that's not what the Bible says. Those aren't the words of Yahuwah say something different. Yeah. So you have to be willing to change. And every time you change, there is some impact. There are people who are going to disown you. And if you've been to the 40-day the thing and been flipped off and yelled at and all that stuff, um, people don't dig who you are, right? Well, that's fine. If, if the world likes you and comes up and puts their arm around you and tells you what a great person you are, what a good job you're doing, you're on the broad road. You need to get off that road. So, okay. So. We have a bunch of Hebrews in Egypt. They were brought there on purpose by Yahuwah. 
And you think of Egypt as the womb. 70 people went in and several million came out. That's where he grew his people. And they originally started as honored guests and they wound up as um, serious employees. And they cried out to El Shaddai. And we, we, need, we need relief from this. But what they wanted was to return to the days when they were honored guests. They didn't want to have to pick up their tent and walk through the desert to get to a place they've never been and do something they never knew that they could do or would do or should do. They were more comfortable there. They just wanted an easier life. And we look at that and go, those people, that's just, you know, they can't even follow the Lord. It's like, well, look in the mirror. You know, that's us. People are the same. And that's why Paul is saying, look to those people. Because he could tell you what's going to happen. And he could tell you what you need to do. And we would just shrug it off. Like, you know, we shrug all this other stuff off. But he wants you to look at this and see. And the first thing we see is, oh, I would never do that. Well, then be honest with yourself. Because you are doing that. We all do that. We all act the same way. We want to be comfortable again. But Yahuwah is working out something different in our lives. He's, he's looking forward to a time we can't see yet. The, the, the Hebrews in, uh, in Egypt decided to stay. They couldn't see the promised land. They couldn't see the advantage to being there because they'd never been there. They couldn't even picture a place better than Goshen. It's like, I live in Santa Barbara Vale. Where else could I go? Well, there's a couple places I can think of right off that would be better. And one is with the Lord. You know, if I'm with him, any place is awesome. Well, he's going to take you back to Israel. Oh, no, 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 thanks. I don't want to go to Israel. Really? Well, he'll let you stay if you don't want to go. You know, in Santa Barbara, all the surfers, when they, when they would read, and there's, and there's no ocean in heaven. Well, I don't want to go. If we can't surf, I don't want to go. Don't say that, dude. Because he won't make you go. You really want to stay here? Because it's, you know, you think surfing is better? He is working a path, a plan. Uh, he's working something in our lives that will require us to change. Because we won't do it on our own. So think that through. If he's working something, working out some scenario, multiple scenarios, that will cause us to actually want to change, that's not going to be a fun scenario. He's not going to, you know, send you unicorns and cotton candy and let you ride the Ferris wheel. And all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, I need to disrupt everything and go follow him. What he's going to do is he's going to send you a world that's so bad, you have to say, I, I, I need to get out of here. I need to follow him. Well, that's what he's going to do. And it's not punishment. It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. And he wants us to go with him. Um, so I was thinking about all this stuff. And all of the people who stayed in Egypt, and all the people who stayed in Babylon, and all the people who stayed in Assyria. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go through scripture. And I'm going to find the names of some of the people that stayed and witnessed for Yahuwah and, you know, did all that stuff while they were in Egypt and Babylon and, and, and all that. So I compiled a list of seven names right there. And you can see that list right there. <laughs> I knew she was going to have trouble with that one. I've been freaking out. I'm back at the thing trying to find out her names. Yeah, there aren't any. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody stayed in Egypt and then witnessed for the Lord. Nobody stayed in Babylon and said, oh, I know, I'm going to convert all the population. Nobody stayed in Assyria and said, oh, these Ninevites, you know, I'm going to show them what's up. Nobody did. So we couldn't do that. Um, I would like to do a Bible study sometime on... on uh, the kingdom, you know, the, 
There's so many people, and it's typically the people, oh, I'm led by the Spirit. You know, I'm led by the Spirit, but I don't do anything the Bible asks me to do. Okay. They're, they're building up the kingdom, they say. They're building the kingdom for Yahweh. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Building the kingdom for Yahweh, but you're not willing to follow him. You're not willing to do the things that he asks you to do. There's, there's, there's a little bit of a problem there. Lot, remember Lot? Lot didn't want to go. God sends angels to him and says, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm going to destroy the whole place. But since you're righteous, you know, and that's a stretch. Since you're righteous, you and your family need to go. They didn't go. They didn't want to go. Most of the family stayed. The angel finally drug Lot and his two daughters out, drug them out. And then, of course, you know, and the wife, but the wife couldn't, couldn't hang. She had to look back and, you know, okay, how, so. How far was the Sinai from the leaving, leaving the... Well, Sinai is down at the bottom of the Arab or Mount, you're talking about Horeb, right? Where they got the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Well, that's where they did a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but that, that wasn't, it wasn't far. It was less probably than a week's journey, but it was in the wrong direction. You know, Canaan was up the coast on the scenic route, and, and Sinai is the other way. They had to go so southeast. Go yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, they did. So, but then they, they always complained that they didn't have enough food. They didn't. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. Yeah. Well, is that different than us? I mean, of course they had enough food. They brought flocks and herds with them. They had all the food they could ever want. But they didn't want to eat the flocks and herds because, you know, that costs money. I mean, those are ours. You know, if you don't do what the Lord wants, you might end up in the belly of a whale. You might end up in the belly of a whale. Exactly right. And that's a great example. God will change your circumstances to the point where you will wish you had obeyed him. Because things aren't as good as you thought they were. So Lot tried to stay. He was not allowed to stay. Terah, Abraham's da dad, he did stay. And you never hear from him again. You never hear about him again. You've got uh, Noah and the, and the fam are on the ark. Nobody wanted to go with them. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to destroy the comfort of their life. And he was saying for 120 years, you need to come with me. This isn't going to be, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not into change. I'll get seasick. Okay. Uh, Yitzhak was told by Yahweh to stay in Canaan all his life, which he did. Uh, Adam and Chava sinned and were booted out from their, what should have been their forever home. Cain and Nimrod uh, sinned and were cast out in the face of Yahweh. It would make an interesting study to, 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 I think, to look at the people who stayed, who were cast out, or who followed, and get some sort, you know, and maybe for another day. Um, but the point is this. We have to be sensitive to the urging of the spirit of holiness. Yahuwah will talk to us and guide us and give us instruction, and I can pretty much guarantee He's not saying, yeah, just, just, just kick back in the recliner and turn the tube on and just wait it out. Everything's going to be great. That's not the way he rolls. He's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to follow my instructions. Well, where are you going to find his instructions? In the book. That's the only place you can find it. There are so many things. Um, we go to church on Sunday and we expect to hear the word of the Lord. And we do often hear the word of the Lord. And that's a miracle because that's not the right day. We shouldn't be there that day. He asked us to set aside the Sabbath, Saturday for him, not Sunday. He meets us on Saturday. So there are a number of things um, and, and we could do this all night. 
but you know we'll be taken from our homes before the tribulation begins and ride it out in the clouds um, we're to be we're to grow where we're planted jesus is our co-pilot we're to ignore the sabbath and the feasts and the new moons and all the requirements in scripture and just do whatever you know whatever we want to do man's tradition there's an endless list of things you know we we, we think to ourselves we convince ourselves our pastor confirms it that we are doing the will of god and yet we read the bible and it doesn't take very long before you, you ask yourself well, why aren't we doing that how come we don't do that why don't why don't we do a feast he's asking us to do this do we do that and we don't and i I can't help but think um, it's a little like the Pharisees, Matthew 12, 38. Master, give us a sign. He's given you a hundred signs. And not only to give you a hundred signs, it's written down. And the Pharisees had read all the words. They knew all the words. They knew the signs, but they just weren't doing them. So he says, Master, give me a sign. Master, say it's okay for me to just be comfortable and not have to obey that stuff. And basically, that's what they're saying. And that's, that's kind of how we are. Is Oh, as long as I'm in church on Sunday and I tithe, I don't actually have to do what the Bible says. I don't have to do what he was asking me to do. I don't even have to know what he's asking me to do because that's why we pay that guy. He stands up there. And he interprets the book for us. So we don't have to read it ourselves. Well, we're going to get to that verse. Uh, and this is, <clears throat> this is the discussion verse for today. It's Shemot, Exodus, chapter 20, starting in verse 18. And of course, well, you'll get it. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. And they said unto Moshe, speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not Yahuwah speak with us, lest we die. And Moshe said unto the people, fear not, for Yahuwah has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moshe drew near into the thick darkness where Yahuwah was. Speak with us that we don't have to hear from God because we will die. Well, and, and Yahuwah later confirms that to Moshe, that in fact they were right. Because they didn't have the ability or the understanding to listen to the words of God. But this is the Exodus generation. That's what they said. Moshe, you speak to us. I want the pastor to talk to us. I want the pastor to tell us what's going on. I don't want to speak directly to God. That would be bad. We will die. Why? Why would you die? Well, I mean, it's unsaid, but it's obvious because we don't do that. We don't believe that. And that's no different, I would suggest, than today. We go to church, we pick out the church we like, the pastor we like, the people we like, the snacks we like, the one we're most comfortable with. We go in, the pastor tells us all about something, and we go home, and it's awesome. And have you ever gone to church, and the pastor is reading something, and he stopped and went, well, we don't do that. We should. Well, I've seen it once. Eric did it. He was reading about the Passover. Hezekiah, he was reading the, the, the word of the Lord had been stashed away for 70 years. And the, the priest found it and he brought it to Hezekiah and Hezekiah read it, was pricked to the heart. And he said, we got to start celebrating the Passover. And Eric read that and goes, well, we got to start celebrating the Passover. But I'll tell you, that's a very rare event to have a pastor from the pulpit read the word of God and admit we don't do that. And we should do that. So it talks in the New Testament about or in the book of Revelation about, you know, tickling ears and people fall away. And, you know, and there's all sorts of different commentary. Nobody wants to tell you the truth. They don't see it in the Bible. 
It's in the Bible. I know, I know but but if you don't read your Bible, you're never going to be confronted with this problem about, well, why don't we do that? But if you sit down and read your Bible every day, Nedra's, what, you're over halfway through for this year already. She'll be able to do it twice this year. You know, good for her. Of course, she's not employed, but, well, that's not true. She works for me and Craig. And she keeps house and 12 dogs, and it's, you know, it's all good. But uh, I'm just saying. So, okay. But we're no different than these, and that's why Paul said that. Pastors are great, and pastors open up stuff for us that we would never figure out on our own. And they're entertaining, and they're good guys, and they, you know, care for you, and, and all that. I'm not saying any of that's not true. I'm not even saying don't go. I'm saying no, it's the wrong day. <laughs> know that, you know, who is not that excited about it. Celebrate the feast. Do what he asks you to do. And if you want to go on Sunday, go on Sunday. That's great. But you have to know the truth, too. And the truth is Saturday, tonight, today. This is the Sabbath. This is the day he asked us to worship. Friday after sunset, right? Okay. So the people said to Moshe on that occasion, we will hear the words from you. And then later they said, and we will obey. And that lasted, you know, almost no time at all. You know that. <clears throat> and I would suggest that that's no different than what we do today. None at all. And Paul says, look to those people as examples. Not good examples, not bad examples. Just look and see, because it's going to tell you what's going to happen at the end. That's what Isaiah 46, 8, 9, 10 says. That's what Ecclesiastes 3.15 says. You know, all these things that have happened before are going to happen again. Nothing is new under the sun, right? Everything, uh, if you want to know what's going to happen at the end, look and see what happened at the beginning. This is what happened at the beginning. These are the people Paul pointed us to. So after this, this whole deal, the mountains smoking and thundering and the lightnings and the people say, Moshe, you speak to us, but don't let the Lord speak to us or we will die. Moshe goes up into the, into the mountain, into the smoke, into the darkness, because remember, the Lord inhabits the darkness. We've read that. And, and uh, okay. And he says to him, this, these are the next words, right after the smoking mountain. He says to him, I want you to build an altar. I want you to build an altar of dirt and unhewn stones. And from that altar, I will talk to you. And so he, he does. And then that's the end of chapter 20. And then chapter 21 begins uh, with, I would suggest, what is the first and most important commandment, if you want to call it that, that's not a commandment and not the 10 that you're looking at. But the very first thing Yahuwah tells Moshe to tell the people is this. It's in Shemot 21, verse 5 and 6. Nevertheless, if the Ebed, and that's uh, bond servant, if the Ebed declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I don't want to go free, then his master is to bring him before Elohim, or probably says judges or something, and there at the door or the doorpost, his master is to pierce his ear with an awl, and the Ebed serve him, Olam, forever. That's the very first thing Yahuwah tells Moshe to tell the people. It's the story of the bondservant, the Abed. And it's important. And if you look at what just went on, of course, you know, Shaul, Paul, all through the New Testament, refers to himself in almost every book as a bondservant, as an Abed. This is what he is. He has given his freedom to serve the master. Right? That's what a bondservant does. So can you imagine for a moment a guy who wants to become a bondservant? He's got this great master. And he says, I love you. I want to stay with my family and my children. I want to stay at your house. And I want to work for you forever. Olam, forever. And the master says, well, okay. If that's, if that's true, I want to take you to God. And you can confess that to him and if you still want to stay then this is what i'm going to do i'm going to bring you home i'm going to put an all in your ear and poke a hole in your ear okay so the first thing the master does is he opens the ear of the bond servant right you want to know how to how to know more stuff about scripture 
make yourself a bondservant to him. Your ears will be open. And then he says, well, he takes this all and he nails him to the doorpost. So think about that imagery. The bondservant is attached, I mean, physically attached in this case, to the door of the master's house. Well, that's quite a picture. How do you get attached to the door of the master's house if you're not following the master, if you're not doing everything he says? So can you imagine a bondservant? that would say, I want to do all that. Oh, but you know, I don't do toilets. I need a feather bed and I am off on Thursdays. Well, that's not a bond servant. That's a Christian. We do what we want to do. As long as it's good, good for us and easy, we're happy to obey. And when things start getting difficult, you want to do what? You want, you want to nail my ear to the doorpost? Oh, I don't think so. Look, I love you and I want to serve you, but I'm not going down that road. Well, then don't expect your ear to be open. Don't expect you to be part of the household. So I would say that every New Testament believer probably has half these verses memorized. John chapter 10. And then she said Yeshua, Yahua, Yeshua, all those guys. And then said Yeshua unto them again, Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be in and uh, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill and destroy. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He is the door. So that picture that I didn't talk about at the beginning, that was a sheepfold. I mean, that's a Middle Eastern sheepfold. That's, it's a great example of what a sheepfold is. And there, there's a little door. And the man, the shepherd, would sleep across that door. So no sheep could get out. And if you look is that up there again? If you look at that, it's, I mean, this is beautiful. This is, I wouldn't mind having one of these in my own home. You see all the way around the top, he's got sharp rocks standing up. So it's not, it's not easy to get in. You have to climb over the sharp rocks and nobody's going to climb over the sharp rocks unless they're here to kill, steal and destroy. So if you're the bond servant, if you're the shepherd, if you're looking out for the sheep, if you're serving the master, that's who you are. You're that guy. You're nailed to the door. You're attached to the house of the master. Your ears have been opened to hear what he has to say. You're watching over the sheep. You're doing whatever he asks you to do. But not just what you want to do. Everything he asks you to do. You're following him. Um, everybody claims to be a servant of Jesus or follow the words of God or, you know, something like that. Um, so everybody who tells you that, you know, and everybody at church will tell you that you could go, you could go to any church, well, not any church, but almost any, any church we would go to, you know, the local Lutheran church is a great one. The local Baptist church is a great one. Eric's church is a great one. Um, you can go to any of those places and you can ask people, do you, do you, do you follow the word of the Lord? Oh, I absolutely do. Um, are, are you, are you a servant of this Jesus guy? I absolutely am. Okay, good. So you're willing to have Yahuwah speak directly to you and do those things, right? Sure. And then you start telling them some of those things. And they don't want to do that. Are, are you an Abed or a wannabe Abed? Or what's your story? Is your, have your ears been open to the things that he says? Are you attached to the house of the master? Or, you know, do you just do your own thing? And then on Sundays... The wrong day then you come and you're you know you're attached to the master um, if you only want to hear and believe what the pastor tells you rather than what the word tells you because we've all hopefully been there we've been believers long enough to know you're sitting at church and there's a sermon on whatever the sermon's about and you're reading along in scripture and it has to dawn on you there are times when it's like well we don't do that 
And I talked before about the, you know, the big church in Fort Collins, our great idea was to have the home groups one quarter, just read these various books of the Bible and get together and discuss them. And it was a major failure because everybody got together and discussed, why don't we do that? The Bible says this, but we don't, not only sometimes do we not do it, sometimes we're adamant against it. You know, Michael goes to all these churches and says, we're going to do this 40 day thing. Cause you know, this is, this is bad. You can't just be killing children. And how many churches said no? And the, and the one said, we believe in abortion. It's like, what? what? What book are you reading? What are you telling these people? I don't know. You know, and I think most people are afraid to read the word because it makes them uncomfortable. The, the, the the Exodus generation did not want God talking to them because it makes them feel uncomfortable and they knew they would die because they knew they don't do those things and they should. Okay, so as we head into Pesach, Passover, let, let's go to, uh, as an example of what we're talking about, Shemot 12 verses 13, 14. And of course, he's talking about the blood on the doorpost. And the blood shall be for you a token in or oath is the Hebrew word. It could say token or flag or beacon or whatever your Bible says. And the blood shall be for you as an oath upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you or destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt and this day shall be unto you for a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahuwah throughout your generations and keep it as a feast by an ordinance Olam, forever. So the Hebrew word translated as token here, it's usually uh, uh, translated as sign, but this particular one is token, is the word oath. It means sign, token, flag, beacon. You know, it's a warning. Just look here, see this. Don't pass this by without knowing. So the blood on the doorpost was a sign, was a token, was an oath, right? And if they didn't, do what the sign told them to do that is to say in this case put blood on the doorpost they would physically die and if you start reading there's 79 times oath is used in the tanakh and it's a it's a glorious study i read through a bunch of them today uh, of the things that are oath are signs or beacons or tokens or flags sometimes it's translated as miracle which is you know, which is just as good. Um, a lot of times these oaths, as it turns out, have something to do with physical death, like this one did. If you don't obey this sign, this oath, this signal, you will die. And in this case, they would have physically died. That's the exception. Most of the time, it's a spiritual death. Every time we don't do the sign, the signal, the beacon, the flag, the warning, the miracle that Yahuwah gives unto us, we just get that much further away from it. Some part of us die. Some part of our spirit dies because we see it and we read it and we hear it. And then in our mind, we choose not to do it. And how many times can you do that before your heart becomes calloused? And you saw that picture again with the Exodus generation with a Pharaoh. He would, he, would, he would be, he was given, well, he was given 11, but 10 signs, 10 plagues. And each time they came, he would say, oh, no, 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 okay, 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 I give, I give, I give. And then as soon as the plague was taken away, the sign, the warning, the beacon, the flag, he went back to the way he was. And you say, well, how can that be? How can anybody be that stupid? Look in the mirror. We've been given all these signs, oaths, warnings, beacons, miracles, right out of the word. We've read them hundreds of times, probably. And most of the time, we just read over them. Because the pastor doesn't say anything about it. It must be okay. I mean, we, we are here worshiping him on Sunday. Great. I ask you to worship on Saturday. The fact you get any credit at all is a miracle of the Lord. 
for doing it wrong. This oath is an interesting word, and it's something you should, you know, every time you see the word token, or, you know, the easiest way is if you, if you have the ability to do this, search its strong number 226, H226. Search H226 on your computer program, and you'll see 79 times it comes up. And read the 79 times he gave you an oath, a warning, a flag, a beacon, a sign, a miracle. And see, just see for yourself. And see how many of those things you do. How many of those things are you comfortable doing? And if you're not comfortable doing them all, then there may be a problem. Olam is the Hebrew word uh, that's often translated as forever. <clears throat> and it, it really, it, it, it means a vanishing. A vanishing? What's a vanishing? You look down the highway and, you know, it's hard in Colorado because there is no straight flat highway. <laughs> but when you're driving, you know, through Utah and it's 111, 15 miles between exits, <laughs> or you're driving down through Arizona and through the desert down there, you can see a highway going. I mean, it just it goes, it just goes away. It gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower until it's a dot and then the dot disappears. That's a vanishing. And that's what this word is. It's translated forever. And that's, uh, I, I get why they translate it that way, but that's not what it means. When it says olam, it means we need to do whatever it is that's olam until it goes away. And it says it that way because there will come a time when the new Jerusalem comes, comes down and we're finally with him after 7,000 years we're at our new home. Those things don't matter anymore. There, there won't be a Sabbath anymore. There won't be a feast anymore that none of that stuff will matter because we're in his presence. It's his light that is the light. It's his living water that flows. So when that happens, these go away. So when it says Olam, it means, well, it means forever until it's done, right? And that doesn't square with forever in English. It means we will do it until the time comes when we don't have to do it anymore. And when that time comes, there won't be a reason for us to do it because we will be with him for all eternity. So Olam is a, is a, is a fun word. Um, okay, so if we skip down to uh, Shemot 31, verses 13, it says, And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, verily, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a oath between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am Yahuwah, that doth sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defile it shall uh, surely be put to, I would suggest, spiritual death. For, who, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy unto Yahuwah. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a Olam covenant. It is the oath between me and the children of Israel, Olam. In six days, Yahuwah made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested, and he was refreshed, and he gave unto Moshe, uh, he, he had made an end to the communing with him upon Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, the tables of stone, written with the finger of Elohim. So we began this little journey at the very beginning in, in Shemot 21. Moshe, and you probably know the story, Moshe went to the people and said, hey, look, I'm going to go talk to God, see what he has to say, come back, tell you, you need a judge. He did. People said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll hear. So then Moshe heads up into the mountains, just into the darkness, the thundering. Okay, that's where we started. And this is, this is how we end. He's now coming down with the sapphire tablets written with God's finger. And you know what he finds. You know, he gets down to the bottom and the people are, the people are partying. 
they've made a golden calf. They didn't make a golden calf, read the word. They threw the gold into the fire and this calf came out. Okay, so what happens? Moshe comes down, breaks the, he breaks the word of God, right? Written on these beautiful sapphire tablets with the finger of God, he breaks them. 23,000 people died that day because Yahuwah came through and, you know, you, you, you've read the story, you know what happens. He goes up to the mountain again for the sixth time. This is the sixth time Moshe goes up to the mountain to meet, meet the Lord. And he, you know, he, he, pleads for the, he pleads for the people. And Yahuwah repents. And it, it's an interesting read. It, it would be fun. It would be fun to read. You should read it on your own. Because he, when Moshe is talking to the Lord, he's saying, you brought your people out of Egypt. Well, they're not Moshe's people. He was sort of conscripted into this. But, but the Lord is saying, these are your people. Look at them. Look what they're doing. They're your people. And he responds, no, they're your people. And you can't destroy them. You've made promises to them. You can't. And he repented and he didn't. Although 23,000 did die that day. But that's how we are. Go through and read the 79 oaths in the Old Testament. It'll be enlightening. Okay, Devarim or Deuteronomy 4.20. But Yahuwah hath taken you, this would be Israel, and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as you are this day. So, this, I mean, this is, this is phenomenal. The creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, of all things, of all people, of all animals, of everything, the creator of everything considers us, these stiff-necked, deadbeat people that don't listen and don't do, to be his inheritance. It's an amazing thing. And it was 6,000 years in the coming. So I would suggest, think about it this way because we all think about this every day. Um, everything from a gallon of gas to a new vehicle, to a home, whatever it is, has a value. And how do you place a value on anything? You know, there's a couple ways, like Hunter Biden says his, his watercolors with a, with a straw are worth $500,000. Are they worth 500,000? They're only worth what he could get somebody to buy them for, right? Yeah, it's laundry money, but I think he sold one for $50,000. So they're not worth 500,000. They're worth 50,000 to somebody because that's what he's willing to pay for it. Everything from a gallon of gas to a car to a home, to the food you buy, the clothes you buy is only worth what you're willing to pay for it. Somebody will put a price on it. That's not, that's not how much it's worth unless you want to pay that price for it. Then it is how much it's worth. How much is your house worth? It's only worth as much as people will pay for it. It could be worth a lot now. It might be worth a little later. It's the same house. Nothing's changed. But it's because somebody will pay you for it. So, you know, we're... We're, we're involved in this. We got this letter from this, I don't know what he is, uh, some attorney genetic guy who says that we have some long lost relative. And I mean, I know who she is. I've been to her house once uh, who passed and he's doing a, you know, an, uh, an air search. So apparently she died without a will. So it's in probate. So he's trying to find all the people that are related. Well, that's me. Like I'm what? second cousin removed or something i don't know um so we joke that we're going to inherit what what are those things the little dolls my sister was saying i don't know precious precious moments yeah we're, we're each gonna we're each gonna get one of the little precious moments dolls collection you know or something i don't know i can't imagine that there's any money there or whatever so inheritances are funny you know value is funny it's it's only it just depends. It might have been worth something to her, 
but it's probably not worth anything to me. And it could be that she has $20 million stashed and, you know, you're going to come next Friday and we'll be living high on the hog somewhere. You know, I don't know. I doubt it. We'll probably be able to show you one of the little precious moments figurines. <laughs> but, you know, if, if uh, you know, if she would have a Picasso in the, on the walls or, a, you know, a Ferrari 275 in the garage or something, it's worth $70 million. That'd be cool. But you think about your God's inheritance. What was he willing to pay for you? His son. He sent his only begotten son, something of immeasurable worth and value. Your, 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 your 275 Ferrari with a Picasso in the trunk, maybe worth $150 million, pales in comparison to what you're worth to him. And that's priceless. That is, priceless. <laughs> so you consider your value, you know, and how much he's willing to pay for you. And then you have to think about, um, you know, do you think with that kind of investment, he's not going to follow through on the things he said he would do? Uh, do you think he's not going to provide a way for you to get to him? Do you think he's not going to do everything he can do? to gather his inheritance together. You know, I said, literally he could move mountains and he may, you know, to get us to Israel to become his inheritance. So if that's true for our part, what, what, what should our reaction be? You know, if we are valued that much, shouldn't we at least obey him? If, if, this, if this guy from W.E., is it Cox, McCoy, Cox, W.E. Cox, is he a relation to you? W.E. Cox Company? Yeah, so it probably is a relation to you. William Cox in 1916 started the company. Um, and he tracks down heirs of, okay. So if, if uh, and I have it sitting on my desk. Mr. Cox, or his company, he's long gone has sent me a piece of paper saying, uh, we've retained an attorney at no cost to you to you know, divvy up the estate, blah, 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 blah. All you have to do is sign here. Okay, so if I don't sign there, I don't get my precious moments figuring. <laughs> That's right, I could get two, I don't know. I'm still pulling for the, the Ferrari. You know, my sister can have the Picasso. I'll take the Ferrari. Um, She'd fight for the Ferrari. She would fight me for the Ferrari. Um, but if I don't sign the paperwork, it doesn't matter. If I don't do what he asked me to do, if I don't follow the rules. And so you think of, of we're his inheritance. There's some paperwork to be signed. There's some things we have to do. We cannot be his inheritance if we don't fill out the paperwork, if we don't do what the master asks us to do. And how big a deal is that? He's valued you at a price that's incalculable. The least you can do is fill out the paperwork, right? Is follow what he It's a simple thing. He says, worship on Saturday. So you're going to stick your finger in his eye and go, I'm worshiping on Sunday. He says, celebrate Pass." No, I'm going for Easter with the chocolate bunnies. I love those ears. I mean, does that make any sense? The world gives you nothing. They value you not at all. You ask Biden or Putin or Gates or Fauci or Schwab, what's your value? Nothing. They don't care about you. I don't care if you live or die. In fact, the plan is for you to die. On the other hand, Yahuwah has valued you at an amount that's incalculable. So who are you going to follow? Why wouldn't you follow the guy who's valued you like that? So if that's true, and you decide to follow after him, you decide to be that inheritance, to join him instead of Biden and, and Putin and Schwab and Gates and Fauci and, you know, the endless list of satanic. Um, would it not benefit you or us to know the truth, to teach the truth, to share the truth, 
to bring other people into this inheritance? Would it not be something he would have you to do? He wants to gather all his children, but many of his children are confused and lost. And they're like the, like Paul said, they're like the people in the Exodus generation. They didn't even go. They didn't leave Egypt. They didn't leave Babylon. They didn't leave Assyria. They were perfectly content there. They were comfortable there. Do you think part of why he calls us is to try to share with those people what we know to be true? That he would value them as much as he values us. An incalculable amount. Keep your Ferrari. Keep your Picasso. I got the real deal over here. But we don't. We just, we're too comfortable. And I don't know why. Oh, I'm worried about what will happen. If we leave Egypt now, I don't know what's going to happen. Really? I can tell you what's going to happen when you get to the promised land. It'll be awesome. But in the meantime, let me tell you this. It's in Romans 8, 21. What then shall we say of these things? If Elohim be for us, who can be against us? I mean, what do we have to worry about? Leave Egypt. Follow the instructions. It's simple. Nedra has every week it gets better, better than bacon, right? That's what you should call the book. Better than bacon. It's awesome. You're not missing anything. Why not join with him? All right. I want to, oh, that's not true. I'm going to skip, okay. No, I'm not going to skip it. Second Corinthians 10, 3, 5, you know this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through Elohim unto the pulling down of strongholds, and that word is okorama, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Yahuwah, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Hamashiach. Okay, Okorama means a, a prison. And to these, these, these people who won't leave Egypt, who won't leave Babylon, who are too comfortable, who don't want to go, that prison becomes their grave. Okorama can mean prison or grave. So they're in prison right now to their own comfort. And they, just, they, they want to, you can talk to me, but don't let God talk to me. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Because then I got to choose. Okay, Passover and Good Friday are on the same day. What are you going to do? You're going to follow the Pope. You're going to follow the Lord. It's your choice. You do what you want to do. Okorama. Your prison becomes your grave. And you don't want that. Okay, things are getting real for, you know, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia and Australia and Canada, and I assume Taiwan soon and other places. And things are changing. Things are going to get hard and go back to what we started with. He's not making it hard to punish you. He's not taking away your internet, your electricity, your food, your car, whatever, to punish you. He's trying to get you to step out of your comfort zone. And because you won't do it, he has to make it not comfortable anymore where you are so that you will go somewhere else because that's how much he loves you. So you think about the things that are happening in the world, the COVID, the vaccine, the death, the destruction, the wars, the, all of that stuff that's going on. You're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going on here? I would suggest he's trying to move you out of your comfort zone. He's trying to get you ready for something that's coming. He wants you to join him. Like Nedra said, he wants you to be under his wings, in the shadow of his wings, not kicking it on the sofa with, you know, Netflix on. Okay, so I often uh, quote Malachi, the last verse of Malachi chapter four, and I want to read the whole chapter. It's not very long, don't panic. Um, and I'm reading it in the uh, complete Jewish Bible, which I think is the one you guys have. And in the complete Jewish Bible, if you're reading it, there is no chapter four of Malachi. So this is actually the last part of chapter three. In, in that particular book. But starting in what we would say uh, 4.1, it says, for the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all of the proud evildoers will be stubble. And that day is coming, will, uh, will, that day that is coming will set them ablaze 
says Adonai Sova. I can never say this. Sova Oat, the Lord of hosts, and leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will break out leaping like calves released from the stalls. You will trample the wicked, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day when I take action, says Adonai Sabaoth, remember the Torah of Moshe, my servant, which I enjoined him at Horev, laws and rulings for all Israel. Look, I will send to you Elihu the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with complete destruction. Look, I will send to you Elihu the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. He is shaking your comfort zone. He doesn't want you just to be complacent and live in Egypt until you die. He wants you out of your comfort zone to follow him because it's going to get so bad that you won't have any other choice. And it's unfortunate that he allows those things to happen. But if he did, we'd be complacent where we are on a, on a Sunday church, celebrating Easter with chocolate bunnies and having pulled pork after church. And he doesn't want that. He wants you to do the things he asks you to do. He wants you to be an EBIT, a bond servant. He wants your ears to be open, and he wants you to be attached to the house of the master. And he will do whatever it takes for you to finally decide to do that on your own. And I think that's where we are today. The world is spinning down the toilet, and it's going to get a heck of a lot worse. And, and you know, and, and they'll, they'll all say, oh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess, but it's not going to get better because the point isn't to make it better. The point is to offer us change. And we should follow that and we should do that. And we should be willing to change and don't get so set in your ways. It doesn't matter what's happening or what's going on in your life or because it's just him moving you closer to him. And that's where we need to be. So anyway, that's it for tonight. Sorry, we're a little late again. I know I shouldn't even bother.